And for those who are getting nervous, we are going to pick up the pace once we get through the Beatitudes. We've been taking it a verse at a time. I think there's a lot here for us to look at in the Beatitudes. But as we move through uh, these chapters, I promise we will pick up the pace. Um, but I think that what we have here is very meaty and worth our uh, detailed consideration. So let's go ahead and read. I'm going to begin reading uh, back in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, down through our text for today, verse 7. And he, Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Father, we are debtors to Your mercy today. If You had not been merciful to us, we would be hopeless, we would be helpless, we would be forever lost in our sins. Without you, without Christ, under the condemnation that our sin so rightly deserves. And yet, Lord, you have been merciful to us. And as we consider that today, and as we consider our obligation to obey your command here, to demonstrate that same mercy to others. I pray that you would, by your Spirit, do a life-changing work in our hearts through your Word. I pray that you would shatter any pride that dwells in our heart that would prevent us from bestowing mercy on others. That you would help us to see again how much we truly have received from Your hand. And that that recognition would motivate us and enable us to obey that which You command us to do here in this beatitude that we will look at today. We are confident that You will do this and we expect that You will work in us because of Jesus and the work that He has already done on our behalf. And we are confident that You will continue that work in our hearts. And we pray to that end that Your name might be glorified through our lives today and in coming weeks and months as we gather here and worship You and and live together as a body. May Your name be glorified in and through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a question. What comes to your mind when you hear the word mercy? What is it that you first think about when you think about mercy? When you think of someone who is merciful, what does he or she look like? What is it that he or she does that causes you to think that they are merciful? No doubt there are many different images coming to our minds, many different descriptions that, that come into our thoughts when we think about what mercy is. And many of these are, are good and helpful understandings of this concept of mercy. Recently, the governor of Mississippi caused a controversy by, on his way out of office, pardoning around 200 criminals and essentially letting them go free. Some of these were men and women who were convicted of murder. You may have heard about that in the news. And the governor's stated rationale for doing this was that these prisoners had, or they deserved a second chance. They deserved, they had done enough time, they had deserved a second chance. He noted that we are a nation of second chances. And he stated that he was being merciful to these criminals, to these 
people that had been convicted of a crime, and in, in His mercy, He was letting them go free and giving them a second chance. Perhaps that's what comes to your mind when you think of someone who is merciful or mercy. Maybe you have in mind the guy on the street begging for a dollar so he can eat, and you or someone coming along and giving him some change to help him on his way. But what exactly is mercy? How do we cultivate hearts of mercy in ourselves and in others that we minister with? How can we demonstrate mercy to others? These are the three questions that I want us to ask ourselves and ask God's Word today as we consider what it means to be merciful. That's what Jesus is commanding in this beatitude. The one who is merciful is blessed because he will receive mercy. So let me give you those three questions again, and we will, I hope, answer those over the course of this message today. The first question is, what is mercy? We want to come to what a biblical definition of mercy is. The second question we'll look at is, how do we cultivate hearts of mercy? And then thirdly, how can we demonstrate mercy to others? So first, let's ask the question, what is mercy? According to one definition, mercy is a broad term that refers to benevolence, forgiveness, and kindness in a variety of ethical, religious, social, and legal contexts. This is often how we picture mercy. This is some of the the examples that I just gave you. This is the judge or or the person in power who shows leniency to a criminal. Or it's someone showing kindness to a person in need. This is, this is how we often define mercy, simply as benevolence and kindness. But is that as far as the biblical concept of mercy goes? Or does Scripture teach more about mercy than simply a kind act to someone or, or letting someone off with less of a punishment than, they, than that they truly deserve? Well, hopefully a brief journey through the Scriptures, and I do mean brief, as we see some instances of mercy as it pops up in different places in Scripture, will help us understand what Jesus has in mind when He talks about mercy, when He commands us to be merciful people. Because I think there's a lot more that goes into our definition of mercy than simply kindness or leniency. Throughout Scripture, mercy is seen in the context of pain and distress. This is certainly the way the psalmists use the term mercy. The psalmists routinely cry out for mercy from God in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their trouble, in the middle of their distress. They cry out to God for mercy. Let me give you a couple examples. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but maybe jot these down and you can go back and look at these when you have more time to read and study through them. These are just a couple of what, what could be many. Psalm 28, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist writes, To you, O Lord, I call, my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary, And then Psalm 40, verse 11 and 12. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. These were cries of of desperate men crying out to God in the midst of of trouble, in the midst of distress. A sense of their own sinfulness. A sense of, of their enemies encompassing them. And they cry out to God for mercy. They cry out to God for relief from their troubles. 
There were certainly many helpless and desperate people who called out to Jesus for mercy as he walked the earth during his earthly ministry. Again, let me give you a couple. Jot these down. Matthew 9, 27. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew 15, 22. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. We could go on and on. People that Jesus encountered who cried out to him for mercy, whether they were sick, had family members who had died, people that were hungry. They begged the Lord for mercy. Mercy is an emotion and an action that focuses on the welfare of others. But I think a biblical understanding of mercy goes far beyond that, far deeper than simply an emotion, a a sense of compassion on someone who is sick or in trouble. And even an act of kindness toward that person, while certainly a merciful act, I think if we are to consistently obey the command given by Jesus in the Beatitudes, we must respond with an emotion and an action far deeper than simply that description. Jesus was certainly merciful to the multitudes that cried out to him by healing them, feeding them. He did it over and over again during his earthly ministry. But his mercy was demonstrated in far deeper ways than simply providing food for hungry people, and providing health for sick people. Jesus' ministry was all about transforming people's hearts. Freeing people from that which truly held them in bondage. You see, people that Jesus encountered, and the same is true of people that we encounter, the thing that is their worst enemy is not that sickness that holds their body in bondage. It's not just the hunger that might hold their stomach in bondage. There's something far greater that holds them in bondage. Jesus certainly knew that was the case. And I hope that we will come to realize and and be able to help other people realize that that is the case. Jesus' ministry was all about transforming lives at the heart level. A merciful person understands what true mercy is. True mercy, if we, if we could boil down the mercy that we have received, the mercy that we are promised that we will receive in Matthew 5 or 7, true biblical mercy, as God dis- himself displays it, is his response to ill-deserving, helpless people that are lost in their sins. All people are in need of God's mercy. Every one of us are in need of God's mercy as a result of our sin. Because our sin has brought condemnation on us. We are in desperate need of God's mercy, are we not? The scriptures are very clear that we are helpless and utterly desperate without Christ, without God. Let me have you go ahead and turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. I think it's worth going here and looking at it together. Because this gives us a very clear picture of our helpless and desperate condition before God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This describes every one of us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
according to these verses, our very nature was so corrupt that we were destined to just follow the course of this world. We had no choice. We were in bondage to our sin. But the passage goes on to tell us that God intervened. And what was the motivation for His intervention? Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a reversal of fortune for us, right? God was merciful to us. God in His mercy reached out to us. Apart from Him acting mercifully to us, we would be in bondage yet to our sin. But God has demonstrated His mercy to us. God's mercy rescues us from our helplessness and His grace provides salvation in Christ. So any definition of mercy understood biblically must must take into account God's merciful act of reaching down to sinners lost in their sin to rescue us. And I think even in defining what it is that we are to demonstrate in being merciful has to include a recognition of others' sinfulness as the reason for their hunger, the reason for their sickness, the reason for whatever it is they're facing. Not that sin is the direct cause of a sickness, but sin in general is the reason why we experience these things. The reason there is sickness and death in this world is because of sin. The reason we find ourselves in difficult situations of our own doing is because of our own sinful hearts. And I think we must remind ourselves of this. We must understand this as we define what it is that mercy is, how we are to respond to others. We must understand and we must remember that all pain and trouble and distress that people experience is the result of sin entering the world. And we must have a compassion first toward the person's sinfulness and seek to meet that need. Biblical mercy is not limited merely to acts of kindness. It's a realization. Biblical mercy is a realization that people are not simply miserable because they're sick or they don't have money, but that they're miserable primarily because they're a sinner. That's the source. That's the deepest root of their misery. So to wrap up this definition of mercy... We could define mercy this way, and this is certainly not the only definition or definitely not the best definition, but this is one that I have come up with to try to encapsulate all the things I believe that, that we, we see from observing God's mercy to us and, and how we are commanded to be merciful to others. We could define mercy this way. Mercy is a heart of compassion toward those who are experiencing the effects of sin and a heart of compassion that acts upon that compassion by helping them in their need and pointing them to the only one who is truly merciful. Now that's a very long definition, and I'm sorry if you tried to write that down. Let me read it again, maybe a couple times. Mercy is a heart of compassion toward those who experience the effects of sin and that acts upon that compassion by helping those people in their need and pointing them to the only one who is truly merciful. I think this includes the key things. It describes the heart of compassion. You see, mercy, I believe, is an emotion. It's an emotional thing. It's a sense of compassion that we have for someone who is struggling, someone who is down. We understand that at its root, their trouble is the result of sin. But not only do we just 
feel this compassion. We act upon the compassion. We respond to it by helping them in their need. But we don't just help their physical need. We want to point them to the one who can meet the sin need. Because if that's the root problem in all of our hearts, that's the biggest issue that needs to be taken care of. And so, while we want to meet their physical need, we want to show mercy in that way. We also want to show mercy by pointing them again to the one, the only one who is truly and all-sufficiently merciful to us. So hopefully that gives us at least a working definition of what mercy is. It includes both the emotion and the action of mercy. So the second question I want us to ask today is, how do we cultivate hearts of mercy? How is it that we cultivate within our own heart a heart of mercy? The adjective merciful used by Jesus or at least written down by Matthew in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. The adjective used there is only used twice in that form in the New Testament. The one other time in the New Testament it's used in, in the adjectival form is in Hebrews 2, verse 17, where it describes Jesus as a merciful and faithful high priest. And the fact that there is an adjective used, this is a, a description of a person. It is a merciful person. This indicates that the one who is blessed, according to Matthew 5, verse 7, is one whose very bent is toward mercy. This is one who is characterized by mercy. This isn't someone that every once in a while does a merciful act. This is someone whose very heart is bent toward mercy. Mercy is the thing that flows from this person's heart, this one who is blessed. So the question we ask, how do we cultivate hearts of mercy? How is it that we become people that are known for being merciful? How is it that we become people whose bent is toward mercy? Well, as any good teacher does, I'm going to answer the question by asking another question. But I think it will help us. I think it was Josh in our text talk asked this question. And it really got me thinking, and I think it's a very penetrating question for us to ask. Ask yourself this question. Why am I not merciful? I'm assuming that there are other people here like me that aren't merciful to the extent that you would desire to be. Ask yourself that question. Why am I not merciful the way that I, that I would want to be? I believe that at the heart of our lack of mercy to others is the sin of pride. I think this is clearly taught in Scripture. We view ourselves as superior to those that would need our, our mercy. We view ourselves as better than that guy that made a bad decision and now he's on the street begging. We view ourselves as superior to people who raise their kids differently than we do and we think they made bad decisions and now they're reaping the benefits or reaping the consequences of that. So at its root, we're proud. We think, that we think we're better and those other people, they don't necessarily deserve our mercy. They deserve what they got. Again, I say that I believe this is the clear teaching of Scripture. I won't have you turn there, but Luke 18. Very familiar story that Jesus told. Luke 18, verse 10 through 13. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, 
adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In this parable, a well-known parable to us, the Pharisee thought much of himself. He didn't even realize his own need for God's mercy. In contrast, the tax collector, he was fully aware of his need for God's mercy and pleaded with God to be merciful to him. I believe we often find ourselves with the attitude of the Pharisee, do we not? We fail to recognize that we have what we have only because God has been merciful to us. We fail to comprehend that any benefits that we enjoy, any success that we might receive, is only because God has been merciful to us. We don't deserve any of it. And yet we look down on others in their time of need, thinking that somehow we have made better choices and they don't deserve our mercy. Instead, they deserve what they got. Well, that might be true that they deserve what they got, but we deserve that same thing too, but God has been merciful to us. And so how dare we, with with pride in our heart, refuse mercy to those who need mercy from us? We must view ourselves the way God views us, You see, our own view of ourselves is severely distorted. It's out of focus. Our view of ourselves must be corrected by Scripture. I remember when I was, I guess I was probably 15, I went to the DMV to get my learner's permit. And I remember going there and whatever it is you do, sign papers, and I can't even remember at this point. But the one thing I do remember is, I had to take a vision test. And I don't know how they do it now, but when I did it, there was a little machine there that you could just look into and they just could test it really quick and, and you know, get you what you need. But when I looked in there, my vision was bad enough that I couldn't even tell if I was looking at numbers or letters or, or what I was looking at. And so, I mean, this was the first time that I realized that I had bad vision and needed glasses or contacts. I mean, up to this point, I thought my vision was fine. And yet I walk in there and fully expecting to get my permit that day. And uh, no, I can't because now I have to go to the eye doctor and get a, get a pair of glasses so that then I can come back and, and actually see where I'm going when I'm driving. But you see, up to that point, I thought what I was seeing was perfectly fine, what everybody else was seeing. And I think the same thing is true for us spiritually, that we, we think our own view of ourselves and our view of the world is the way things actually are. But what we need is we need a correction. We need our vision corrected by God and His Word. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us, the way God describes us in His Word. We need to see ourselves as as beneficiaries of God's mercy. Have you ever made any of the following statements, either verbally or just internally to yourself? Have you ever thought these? I can't believe that he would do that, whatever, whatever that is. I can't believe that guy would, would make that decision to do that. Now look where he is. Look, look what that got him. I would never put myself in the predicament that she's in right now. You know, those people probably deserve what they got. They deserve where they are because of poor choices. Again, as I said a a couple minutes ago, that might be right. Their poor choices may have got them there. But we have no business looking down on them and refusing to demonstrate mercy to them because of that. Again, we are recipients of mercy. How do we cultivate hearts of mercy, we recognize that we have received mercy. 
we continue to learn and, and, and view ourselves the way that God views us, as sinners whom He has rescued through His mercy. Another way the Scriptures teach us how to cultivate a heart of mercy is by making what perhaps for us is a surprising contrast with mercy. Matthew 9. Again, you don't have to turn there, but maybe jot this down. Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13. As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Notice the contrast that Jesus made. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Why does Jesus contrast mercy with sacrifice? Well, his response here is actually a quotation from the Old Testament and hits on a theme that we actually find repeatedly through Scripture, this contrast between a heart of mercy and sacrifice. One example, Hosea 6.6. Again, I believe this is where Jesus is quoting from. For I desire steadfast love or mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And then Micah 6, verses 6 through 8, the text that the song we just sang is based on. Again, contrast sacrifice with mercy. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Can I appease the Lord with sacrifice? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? What is it about sacrifice that makes it the opposite of mercy in these cases? It's essentially a contrast between that which is external, a demonstration of my appeasement of God by sacrifice, and that which is internal, something that that God is doing in our heart, cultivating mercy within our heart. This was the message that Jesus continually confronted the religious leaders of his day with. Those consumed with sacrifice, those that that were sitting at the table with him, those teachers of the law, they were more interested in fulfilling their religious duty than they were about demonstrating mercy to those who needed Christ. They were more interested in in their table being kept clean from sinners, as if they weren't sinners themselves, than they were to allow sinners to come and to receive mercy and grace from the Savior. I also think it's important for us as we consider what it means or how we cultivate hearts of mercy It's important for us to connect this beatitude in verse 7 with the ones that we've already seen come before it. A merciful heart is found in one that is poor in spirit, one who recognizes the true state of their soul before God. Someone who recognizes that is someone who God can use to be merciful. One who mourns over their sin, pleading with God for mercy, pleading with God for forgiveness. That's the kind of person that will demonstrate mercy. Those who are meek, 
those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, these are the ones who are also merciful because of their pursuit of God, pursuit of of His character, His righteousness. Therefore, these, these are the ones that will be merciful. So we want to cultivate a heart of mercy by getting God's view of ourselves, understanding the lengths to which God has gone to be merciful to us. And that will fuel our mercy toward others. Finally, how do we demonstrate mercy to others? And we don't have a lot of time to to cover this, and and I really hope that community groups and, and smaller groups can can really flesh this out of what, how we, ways that we can demonstrate mercy to others. But a biblical understanding of mercy must go beyond mere intellectual understanding of a need. And even the internal sense of compassion towards someone, there must be action. Biblical mercy, the way Jesus was merciful, requires action. It requires us to act out of hearts of mercy. So how can we as individuals and how can we as a church demonstrate mercy to others? There are certainly some ways that probably come to mind quickly, ways that we've already talked about. Uh, feeding the poor, giving shelter to the homeless, and, and on and on the list could go of, of kind things that we could do to show mercy to others. Again, I want us to see a biblical example of mercy demonstrated, which I think hopefully will help to deepen our understanding and broaden the picture of what it looks like to demonstrate mercy to someone. So turn back, if you would, or actually turn ahead from Matthew over to Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, we have a very well-known example of Mercy demonstrated to someone who is helpless. Let me actually, I'm going to back up and read starting in verse 25, just to give us the context of this. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. There are a couple things I want us to notice from this parable of the Good Samaritan as we know it. First, we see the the context that Jesus gives this. It's it's set in this question that this man asked to Jesus of who is his neighbor? Who is the one that he must love? as himself. You see, mercy flows out of a heart of love. 
the religious figures in this story, the priest and the Levite, they walked by without acknowledging the man in his need. Their heart had no compassion for this man. Second, the act of mercy, not only does it flow out of a heart of love, but the act of mercy is also, in a sense, an act of forgiveness. In this case, the Samaritan man was merciful to a man who likely would have been his enemy. You know well the history between the Jewish people of that day and the Samaritans. They were enemies. They hated one another. And yet here was this Samaritan man coming to the aid of a man who would have been his enemy. And so, to some degree, there would have had to have been forgiveness in the heart of the Samaritan man to bend down and treat this, this injured, helpless man who likely would have sinned against him had he been well and healthy. So, the act of mercy also involves forgiveness of sin. In order to be merciful to someone, or when we are merciful to someone, it essentially says, I forgive you, maybe for a sin done directly to us. Is it difficult to be merciful to someone who has wronged us? Or do we easily excuse our lack of mercy toward them because they have sinned against us? There's no room in Scripture for that to be the case. In Scripture, we're merciful to all. It goes back to understanding the the amount of mercy that we have received from God. We are not the ultimate judge of a person. We don't decide whether or not that person deserves mercy. Perhaps God would use our merciful kindness to someone to lead that, that person to repentance. There is certainly a place for both justice and mercy. There's certainly a place even in our the laws of our land for justice to be served. That's appropriate, that's necessary. So there is certainly a need for both justice and mercy. And even for us as as individual believers, for us as a church, there is a place for for righteousness and justice alongside mercy. But my encouragement to us individually and corporately would be that we would lead with mercy, that we would not lead with judgment, that we would not lead with punishment, but that we would lead with mercy. And that alongside mercy, where necessary, would come the justice, the righteousness that has to be done. Even in difficult Cases such as church discipline. We must all the while be merciful. Recognizing the need for for all parties involved to be freed from sin and experience reconciliation. Even something as difficult as church discipline should be merciful, is merciful when done appropriately. Because mercy is, is ultimately, as we've said, more than just meeting a physical need. It's reaching out to the spiritual need of a person's soul, of pointing them to one who can truly show them mercy to rescue them from their sins. Again, we don't have time to explore all the possible ways that we as individuals and we as a church can demonstrate mercy, but I want, I want us to be thinking about this. I hope this is something that can happen and will happen organically through our lives individually as, as God leads us to be merciful to others, as God cultivates in our hearts hearts of mercy, hearts of compassion toward others, as God leads our community groups to demonstrate mercy to one another first and, and then to reach out and be merciful to those who are yet without Christ. Maybe we can find opportunities as groups or as individuals to reach out in mercy, to help people in need, but ultimately pursuing the solution to their greatest need, which is pointing them to Christ. 
I want to remind us of what the Beatitudes are as, as we close. What are these Beatitudes? These are descriptions of people who are kingdom citizens. These are people who will be blessed. In Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Those who are merciful, those who, who God uses to be truly merciful, merciful in a way that pictures God's mercy, is someone that at the end of the day will experience the mercy of God and forever experience that mercy as we dwell with God forever, having been rescued from our sins. These are the people that are described in the Beatitudes. They're kingdom citizens. They're people that are following Christ. They're people that are believers in Christ. Christians. As was stated at the very beginning of this series, these are, this is not a list of character qualities that we pick two or three of them and we, we, we want to master those and kind of ignore the rest. Maybe there's some that we're more naturally disposed to, to looking like. And the, the harder ones, we just kind of, that, that'll be somebody else. No, these are all descriptions of, of essentially one person. As a follower of Christ, all of these things should be to some degree evident and, and growing in us as characteristics, as descriptions of our life and our character. So at this point, as we have moved through the list and we're, right about halfway through this list of Beatitudes. I want to caution someone who, who might be here saying, I really haven't seen myself yet in any of these Beatitudes. I mean, hopefully for all of us, we're at least seeing glimmers of, of growth in each of these areas. We're not where we want to be. There's certainly room to grow in all of the areas but hopefully we're seeing some evidence of grace that God is working, that we are increasingly being poor in spirit. We're mourning over our sins. We're demonstrating meekness. We're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We're to some degree demonstrating mercy. But what about someone who would say, I don't see myself in any any of these yet. I want to caution that person. You may yet be without Christ. And my my plea, my prayer for, for that person would be to run to the one who is merciful. Run to the one who can rescue you from the bondage of your sin and who can give life to your soul that you can demonstrate these characteristics. These aren't things that we master on our own. These are, these are things that God must do in us through His Spirit. Run to God for His mercy. For those of us, hopefully the vast majority of us here, who are in Christ, we must also plead for God's mercy. We must depend on the power of His grace to accomplish these beatitudes. We are not blessed because we are able to manufacture these characteristics on our own, in our own strength, in our own power. We are blessed because at the end of the day, God is accomplishing these through us. And so may we praise God for the evidences of grace in these areas where he is giving us growth. And may we plead for him for mercy in areas that we fall short. And may we depend on Him again and again for growth, for His grace to work in and through us, that these would be increasingly more characteristic of our lives than they are right now. I hope that will be our prayer as we, as we reflect on the things that we've already seen from Matthew 5 and as we look forward to all that, that Christ will teach us through His Sermon on the Mount in the next several months as we look at it. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm so thankful for your mercy. I'm so thankful that you have not left us in our sin. You have rescued us from ourselves. 
You have rescued us from the bondage that our sin held us in out of the richness of your mercy. And I pray that we would be able, as people who reflect your character, we by your grace would be able to demonstrate that mercy to others who are in need. And that we will not be satisfied simply with doing kind acts to people, but that we will pursue their salvation. That we will point them to Jesus, who is the ultimate merciful one. I do pray that if there are any here that are yet without Christ, that you would do a work of mercy even right now in calling them from their sin to your Son. And for those who are in Christ today, may we experience over and over again your grace and your goodness. May we see growth and evidence of your grace working in our hearts. Cultivate hearts of mercy, hearts of compassion in us. And then motivate us to act on that. Help us to see more and more ways that we can reach out to those people in need. Looking for ways that we can reach them, be merciful to them. And that you would use even our acts of mercy to draw people to yourself. That your name would be magnified. We just pray that you would do this work for your glory. And we will praise you and thank you for all that you do in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.